Hey everyone, this is Achuta Bhava from Nightlight Astrology, and today we are going to reflect upon the fact that Saturn is moving into its final square with the planet Uranus. After it does this, Saturn is going to station later in October, turn direct after being retrograde for quite some time, and then is on a pathway to finally leave Aquarius. At the same time that Saturn leaves Aquarius, Pluto will be entering Aquarius. So we're going to talk a little bit start to invite reflection uh, into our lives upon this transformation that's upcoming. Uh, so that is our goal for today. But before we get into it, don't forget to like and subscribe, share your comments and click on the notification bell for updates when you subscribe to get notified when I go live. You can always find a transcript of any of my daily talks on the website, nightlightastrology.com. Also, my new class, Ancient Astrology for the Modern Mystic, the year one program's fall enrollment is coming up. So uh, encourage you all to sign up. The course, you'll find it on the courses page, first year course. You're going to scroll down to learn more about it. It is a one-year program. We meet on Saturdays starting on November 12th. We meet for two to three hours on Saturdays for 30 classes over the course of a year. We also have 12 guest lectures. We have uh, breakout study sessions led by my tutoring staff. There's a discussion forum led by my tutoring staff. So if you have questions, you're always getting an answer within uh, 24 hours. Uh, there's tons of bonus material. You can kind of go as deeply as you want to with the course. You can take it live or remotely and follow along with the recording. So it's a very flexible program, perfect for people who are hoping to start their own astrology practice or maybe just take their studies of astrology to the next level. Um, I have poured more of my heart and soul into this program than anything else I've ever created as an astrologer. And so I'm really proud of it. Uh, you can check out, there's a video on the uh, page. You can hear what some recent alumni are saying and how their practices are shaping up after graduating. Um, early bird payment saves you $500 off. You can stretch out the payments over 12 months. That's a good option for a lot of people. And then also there is need-based tuition. We try to make sure no one's ever priced out. So if the price point is too high for you, you're on a really tight budget, that's not going to change anytime soon. We don't want people breaking the bank. We want it to be a reasonable investment. So, um, you know, we don't want anyone to be priced out of studying a spiritual science like astrology. So if tuition assistance is something that might help you, tell us your situation and we'd be glad to help you out. We just ask that you try to do that early because it takes a few uh, days to get all of the need-based tuition uh, applications processed. So we ask people not to wait to the last minute to do that. All right. Well, I hope to see some of you in class in November. Until then, what I really am I'm excited about doing in that we have so many things to talk about between now and the start of that course, by the way, we've got eclipse season coming up. We have Saturn turning direct and moving on its final trajectory out of Aquarius and also Pluto moving into the sign of Aquarius in the next six months or so here. So a lot of big astrology coming up now as we're turning toward the end of 2022 and into 2023. And I'm really excited to discuss in particular that movement of Saturn today. So what I want to do is just I'm going to pull up the real time clock and show you what I'm looking at and then share some thoughts with you. A little bit of a deeper meditation today on the sign of Aquarius, the, the significance of Saturn moving out of that sign and Pluto moving into it. Uh, this will be the first of probably many reflections that we'll start to do on Pluto's entrance into Aquarius, which is going to be a very big topic for a lot of astrology uh, content creators in the next in the months ahead. Anyway, let's go ahead and uh, move this along. So what I want to point out is later in October, um, I, the occasion for this is some of the th ways in which I've been experiencing this transit personally and reflecting on it personally, um, which... I won't go so much into, but I, I will sort of distill some of my uh, reflections on this transit 
uh, in light of what Saturn's about to do. So here's what Saturn's doing. By around October 23rd, Saturn is stationing and turning direct. Now, in the meantime, as it's doing so, it is finishing up its final square to Uranus. Now, that square is not perfecting exactly, but it's very close. So, you know, we might as well be, we're, right now we are in the midst of, you know, one last Saturn-Uranus square, you could say. Now, <clears throat> after Saturn turns direct toward the end of October, you've got Mars retrograde coming up toward the end of October, eclipses at the end of October, beginning of November. So it's a pretty powerful turn at the very end of the year here. Now we go forward a little bit. And when we go, you're going to see Saturn is culminating now in Aquarius. And this is happening toward the very beginning of March. Here's Saturn, the 29th degree of Aquarius. And it is going to, just days afterward, it's going to, whoops, let's do this. You're going to see Saturn change into Pisces. This is about March 7th. Now, go forward just a little bit more, and let's watch what Pluto's doing. Notice Pluto in Capricorn, where it has been for a very long time. And, and it's just going to keep jumping around on me, so I'll just do this. So we're going to see Pluto moving into Aquarius. This is about March 23rd. So the month of March, just as Saturn leaves Aquarius, Pluto enters. Now, Pluto's going to stay there just for a little bit before retrograding out, and then it's back and forth. Uh, ingress into the sign of Aquarius takes a little while. Um, you're going to see that back and forth throughout the rest of 2023 and into 2024. So as that is happening, we are seeing... It's as though Saturn is paving the way for an even more profound and long-term emphasis on the sign of Aquarius. Um, I think that's fascinating. You've got Pluto in Aquarius from 2023 um, all the way into 2042. It's still there. So, you know, about 20 years worth of worth of Pluto spending time in the sign of Aquarius. And I've been, you know, I've I've had the occasion recently to reflect quite a bit on the sign of Aquarius, Saturn's rulership in that sign. And um, one of the reasons is that Saturn and Uranus in their square have both been hitting my ascendant ruler, which is Venus in, in Leo. So I've had a really personal <clears throat> uh, transformative experience with those two planets recently. And I want to share with you some of the reflections that I've had on this uh, on the sign of Aquarius and what we might expect almost from the, the standpoint of an archetypal spiritual experience like what is the spiritual experience of aquarius or one of the quintessential spiritual experiences associated with this sign and in order to do that i mean first of all like i said it comes from the direct experiences that i've had of saturn opposing my ascendant ruler um recently and just the opportunity to reflect on saturn and aquarius at a, at a much deeper level but then starting to ask the question well what does it mean that you know, Pluto's about to enter this sign and spend a long time there as well. So I want to offer you just three basic reflections that are starting to help me gain an understanding of where things have been, what kinds of things I've been learning, what kinds of things maybe we've all been learning from Saturn and Aquarius, what kind of things we might be able to expect from Pluto entering Aquarius. First of all, let's talk about this question. How does Saturn see the sun? I think it's a good question to ask because the two planets were polar opposites in ancient astrology. So in the ancient Thema Mundi, 
the signs of Saturn are opposite the luminaries. You have Aquarius, the sign of Saturn, opposite Leo, the sign of the sun, and you have Saturn, sign of Capricorn, opposite Cancer, the sign of the moon. So for ancient astrologers, Saturn was associated with the opposition aspect, and Saturn was also the natural antithesis of the lights. Saturn is also naturally opposed to the sun in the dignity scheme of the exaltations. So Saturn is exalted in Libra where the sun is in its fall and Saturn is in its fall in Aries where the sun is in its exaltation. So these two, and this is uh, presented really nicely in um, in Rhetorius the Egyptians uh, text. I have James Holden's translation in case you're interested. Rhetorius lays out the reasoning behind this and he says that the sun is the, you know, the storehouse of light and Saturn is related to darkness. And he goes on and says some other things. But sort of begs the question, how does Saturn see the sun? And this is one way that you can think about it. Saturn sits as the dimmest and most distant planet on the edge of the known of the of the solar system, the, the last dim distant planet between the realm of the gods and the numinous beyond. That was Saturn's place in ancient cosmology. And so it was Saturn was a, a watcher between worlds. Saturn was a gateway between worlds. And Saturn sat distant from everything, uh, almost like looking uh, at the top from the top of a hill and and looking uh, in the distance and seeing the city. You know, it's 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 almost it's it's far Saturn far into the the wilds of the deep space. And so Saturn, when Saturn sees the sun, it's an interesting experience. Well, because how does the sun see itself? Well, the sun doesn't really see itself. It doesn't have the ability to see itself because it's just radiating light and all it sees is its own light, if you want to think about it like that. So from the sun's point of view, the sun is just self-effulgent and radiating of its own nature. And in that sense, it really can't see anything else but itself because it is blinded by its own light. It, it is consumed by its own light. It is self-same, undifferentiated, um, and, and, and extensive. So it's just a, a handy way of thinking about the sun. So from the sun's point of view, um, you know, it's, it's sun has a hard time seeing Saturn, if that makes sense. Saturn, on the other hand, sitting out watcher at the edge of the world, when it looks in on the sun, what does it see? It just says, look, there's a ball of light has a very objective perspective. It says, look, there's a, a shiny ball of light. And in that sense, Saturn cannot be consumed by the light because Saturn sits in a sense beyond the reach of the light, but it still has, there's enough light so that Saturn can perceive and look and say, you know, I can see you objectively, you're the sun. And, you know, it's like this very, um, in a sense, it's sort of a detached, distant objective perspective and it looks like that at the sun so for this reason you know if you think about the sun in relation to well the way that ancient astrologers thought about the sun one of the ways they thought about it was that we have we each have a sense of calling in life a, a series of images that the soul gets possessed by that drive or propel the plot line of our story forward i want to be an astrologer i want to be a husband i want to be a father um, whatever. I want to be in intelligent. I want to, you know, all of the things that anyone might, I'm just thinking of some of the things that I've, you know, the, the, the pursuits of my own path, right? That, And 
insofar as we become uh, captured by those images, they're like lights that we become captured by. And then like the arc of the sun, they, we become identified with them. In this way, some modern psychological astrologers will say that the sun is related to the ego, but it's only related to the ego insofar as our sense of self becomes consumed by some sense of purpose or passion or activity that we take on and try to move toward like an acorn becoming an oak tree. And that's part of what defines the ego, right? Is the passions that it becomes consumed by, that it's it, we're, we are blinded by our own ambitions and the, not, not necessarily in a bad way. When Saturn comes along and has an aspect to your sun in your natal chart, it is as though there is a mirror being held up to you. And it says, you know, look, you're just a dude. And, you know, all of these heroic images and storylines that you are possessed by, you know, you're still just, you're just you. You're just a person, you know. Or they might, they might have a way of making you, Saturn sometimes when it hits the sun makes a person feel sort of detached from their own life or their life story or disillusioned or bored or exhausted by their own passions, uninterested in the things they used to be interested in. And they go like, well, what happened? So Saturn sees the sun and says, look, it's just a sun. And in a sense, that objective detached perspective that Saturn has, it's, its view of the sun it takes us out of the absorption. So it, it, it's like Saturn is Saturn's perspective is always pulling us out of the absorption, which can feel dissociative, detached, depressed, exhausted, empty, and so forth. So this is one thing to remember is that one of the things that Saturn does in Aquarius is, you know, it's a it's kind of a king killer insofar as the king is the sun and insofar as the sun represents things that we get deeply absorbed with and identified to the extent that we sometimes are blinded or we can't see. And so Saturn comes along and pulls us out of that perspective into Saturn's perspective where we feel detached from that which is light. And that could mean that we feel exhausted. It could mean we feel lonely. It could mean we feel alienated. It could mean we feel separate or apart. So that, but Saturn's affording us that perspective as well, because there's something ultimately refreshing about being emptied. So that leads us to reflection number two. What is the water pourer of Aquarius or the cupbearer? What is the water pourer emptying from the pitcher? Well, it, it really depends. As we were just saying about the sun, what are you absorbed in? What, am, what now we could be absorbed in ideas about ourselves? depending on the house position of the sun, ideas about love or career, ideas about our family or ideas about our wealth or our socioeconomic identity, ideas about our sexuality and so on and so forth. And we get absorbed into dramas everywhere. And that's the passion play of life. It's amazing, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But Saturn comes along and Saturn takes the fullness of whatever we are absorbed in and pours it out. And that's, in a sense, that's sort of what the water pourer represents is this, um, it's, a, it's a kind of a, a, a mood of emptying. See, the thing about getting possessed by the sun, as Vedius Valens said, is that the sun is the noetic light and the sun is called daimon, which means that there's a way in which the sun is possessing us with spiritual currents of intensity. You know, it's, uh, it's as if to say that 
when we're in a solar mindset, um, we are we're possessed by a spirit, by a god, and we uh, are we are completely blinded and have to be in order for that archetype to to play out as wonderfully as it does. Um, but there are there are times in life, really important times, that we have to return to being just human, right? That we we recognize. I am not a god. I've been possessed by a god, and I'm not a god, but I am oftentimes a host to these divine archetypes playing out on the stage of my life. So, how do you get that separation to return to your humanness, right? Rather than being the constant playground of the gods, absorbed in them, and then potentially getting inflated by those very archetypes, getting a god complex, so to speak, which is always the danger of Leo and the Sun. <clears throat> You have to be emptied. You have to return to your just this, just that, just so. You have to return to your humanness. The water pourer was called a humane sign, a human sign. And the water pourer is also emblematic of the cup bearer of the gods, the servant of the gods, but also of one who is emptying something out. The image shows a pitcher of water being emptied. There's something about this image that is deep in the human psyche. What is the water pour emptying? You could say ego. You could say the water pour is emptying identification with an archetype or God. You could say that the water pour empties out whatever is full in order that we might gain the healthy perspective of returning to emptiness. And emptiness is not, you know, it's, it's hard to talk about emptiness. The Taoists say that. Uh, so many different religious traditions say that emptiness is still a something of, of some kind. But emptiness might be also something that brings us back somehow to the simple fact of being human, being being a soul, and uh, being utterly individual and unique. And, and that that is what has been and what will always be prior to and after any of the archetypal uh, possessions that we come under. You know, any journey we go on, any quest we go on, at the end of the day, it's still just me. You know, there's still some fundamental unchanged part of us that we can't speak about. You know, it's there, but it's invisible. It's mysterious. It resists being d d described or contained or confined. So we're a vessel, you know, we're like a vessel, an empty vessel. We, we fill ourselves up with things, a lifetime, a lover, a career, an ambition. And then, but they, the spiritually speaking, we go through periods where we have to be poured out. And in doing so, we often recognize, we come back to a very profound acceptance for our humanness. In, in, at least in, in this earthbound drama, uh, Aquarius is a great reference to our, our humanness and coming back to it. Now, there's a lot of other archetypes that are not identical that also belong to Aquarius, that belong to Saturn. But I think this is one of the profound archetypes of the moment because there's, um, there's something about this emptying that has been taking place. Uh, I reflect on it in my own life and I've reflected on it in the lives of my clients over the past several years. And I believe that it's probably at least one of the archetypal components of what Pluto and Aquarius will bring as well, this state of being emptied. And, you know, um, 
there's a word for this um, emptying in uh, ancient theology. It's a Greek word that's referred to as kenosis. So my third reflection is, what does a kenotic life look like? I want to read you a, just a few passages. This is from, I mentioned this book some time ago. It's made a big impact on my life in the last year. It's called Religious But Not Religious, Living a Symbolic Life. <clears throat> Written uh, by Jason Smith, who has a wonderful podcast called The D Digital Young that I really like as well. Emptiness and Kenosis. This psychological experience of an empty center finds resonance in virtually every religious tradition, if not always within a religion's mainstream expression, then certainly through the contemplative or mystical aspect of that tradition. In this regard, we find the concept of sunyata in Buddhism, the void in Taoism, nirguna brahman in Hinduism, ayin in mystical Judaism, and the aspect of Allah as al-batin, the hidden one, in Islam. Each of these symbols is an expression of nothingness or emptiness, which is not to be stood, understood here as a negation. Rather, it should be regarded as the source and fullness of all things that yet cannot be known or named within the field of consciousness. The Christian tradition, too, has its expressions of emptiness in the form of the theological idea of kenosis, which is derived from the phrase in Paul's letter to the Philippians, where he states that Christ emptied himself of his divinity in order to become a human being. Kenosis is worth looking at here in more detail as it provides an archetypally grounded image of a living essence that becomes more fully realized in that act of giving itself up or of going beyond itself. A quick survey of the qualities used to describe kenosis will show some of the contours of this important and symbolic idea. Kenosis is described as a self-emptying, a humbling, and a pouring out. It is said to proceed through self-limitation rather than self-interest, letting go rather than clinging, and giving away rather than possessing. At the same time, this self-surrender is also a self-realization, a letting go of a false self so that a true self can emerge. The paradoxical nature of kenosis is nicely articulated by Alan Watts, who offers an essential insight into the kenotic dimensions of Christianity when he says, Quote, the basic theme of the Christ story is that this express image of God becomes the source of life in the very act of being destroyed. This is the paradox spoken by Jesus, him, Jesus himself to his disciples when he taught them that, quote, those who try to make their life secure will lose it, but those who lose their life will keep it. In the symbol of kenosis, then, we have an image of the self-presentation of the divine that simultaneously points away from itself. In other words, kenosis in particular and emptiness more generally as expressed in all religious traditions can be understood as the archetypal background of what is conveyed in the phrase religious but not religious. The religious attitude is properly empty, kenotic. It maintains an awareness of the ultimate mystery of life and does not cling to the forms through which that mystery is sensed. It understands that although we need structures with which we can meet the contingencies of life and through which we can gain some understanding of its depths, Ultimately, what we call truth or knowledge or reality or God exceeds what those names and structures are able to contain. We cannot do without our structures, language, image, theory, symbol, story. All these are points of orientation without which we would be lost in the chaos of the infinite stimuli of living, a chaos we only reinforce through our current preoccupation with the proliferation of data and information. Nevertheless, we must be willing to let our structures go or else they can become barriers to the individual adventure of being alive. 
Jung was acutely aware that all our structures, be they religious symbols or psychological concepts, were in the end, but, quote, human veils and curtains concealing the abysmal darkness of the unknowable. The best that human beings could do in the face of the transcendent mystery of life, Jung felt, was to, quote, paint the world with divine colors. We find ourselves in a position, in other words, in which we must learn what I would call the art of knowing but not knowing. We must find ways to know, be in relationship with, what cannot be known, a possession of the mind. Ultimately, it is not what we know that matters, but what we live. Our concepts and ideas, whether psychological or spiritual, scientific or religious, are like mirrors in which the reflection of truth can be glimpsed, though not fully known as in a face-to-face encounter. At best, they are partial and incomplete expressions of the experiences they are attempting to describe. This means it is not so important that we are in possession of an ultimate and final truth, as that will always remain beyond our grasp. What is important is that we are able to experience a truth that brings us more alive, one that awakens the heart to love, the soul to beauty, and the mind to the wonder of life. In the Bhagavad Gita, the final instruction of Krishna to Arjuna, this is text 66 from the 18th chapter, says, Sarvadharmam paritya mamikam saranam vraja aham tvam sarva papebhyo moksha yashami masucha. Excuse my Sanskrit, it's not very good. Abandon all varieties of religion and just surrender unto me. I shall deliver you from all sinful reactions. Do not fear. Sarva dharman, all varieties of dharma, of duty and of, you could say, structures that are rooted in a sense of, of like righteousness. Surrender them. I'll take care of you. When I think of Pluto entering Aquarius as Saturn is leaving, I think Saturn's done the hard work of putting us in touch with, uh, you know, Saturn has maybe begun the emptying process, but it's done so through, you know, that, that the Saturn is hard, you know, and, and when, when Saturn starts to empty us, I think that there's sometimes a sense of boredom, exhaustion, impatience, frustration. Uh, we, we attempt to keep something going beyond its expiration date. Uh, and there's a sense of something that's just not, not working any longer. And this is the canonic process of the water pour emptying us. And Saturn's way of doing that has a real like strong oppositional tension to the sun. It can be, it can hurt. It can be exhausting. It can, it can be a feeling of, of, um, there can be abandonment in it. There can be a feeling of not knowing what's real or where we're going. But that that kenosis is so important to be poured out, to be emptied occasionally. I mean, whether it's, you know, at the end of a day and you take some time to be quiet, uh, read, reflect, talk with a lover or a friend, and we say we're venting. But often what we're doing too in our venting is kenotic. We're pouring ourselves out. And what do you feel after you've done that? You know, you, you come back, at least I do. I come back to a feeling of like, it's just me. You know, it's just, it's just me. I'm just a little spirit soul and, um, and it's okay. 
for anything new to come, it's as though quite frequently there has to be an, an emptying of everything we've known or become obsessed or possessed by. Um, and in that, there's always one of the ways that that can go. We can resist the emptying by futuring, but we can resist the emptying by rather than just really being emptied out. Maybe that means being disappointed. Maybe that means st getting, you know, getting comfortable in a position of, of boredom or getting, uh, you know, feeling okay with the fact that there's just uh, a dead of winter. One of the ways that we start to try to deal with that almost like as a reaction is we future. Oh, well, you know, everything feels so dead, but the utopia is in the future somewhere. So Aquarius, a sign that's always related with futurism. Well, part of that is also just a response to not being able to sit with the canonic blessing of Aquarius, the fact that we're being poured out, uh, that the, 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 the gods we've been possessed by are dying, that they're being poured out of us. There's a film that came out recently called The Changing of the Gods. There's a changing of, a go of the gods in our life. It's going to be like a changing of the guard. And an easy thing to get obsessed or possessed by in the moment that we're being emptied of of our archetypal obsessions and possessions is to start futuring. Well, let me think of all of the brave new things in the future that will, you know, bring me back to life. And, and some of that's good and some of that's healthy. Some of it is not allowing for a true canonic moment to take place, a true emptying out to occur. So we have to be very careful of that. I had a moment recently that brought me to these realizations that I'm sharing today or these reflections, I should say. Um, so I recently had uh, LASIK surgery done, and uh, it's amazing. I can see without contacts and glasses. I'm, I can't. I'm, you know, technology is amazing. Um, I misplaced my prescription eye drops, and so I was, you know, naturally I was looking around for them, and I couldn't find them. So I, I got frustrated to the point where I was like, "All right, screw you, <laughs> water bottle. I, you can't hide from me. I'm going to cast a horary." <laughs> <laughs> so I cast a horary chart and the signifier of the missing prescription eye drops, which are in a little bottle, was Saturn in Aquarius. You can imagine the image of me holding these things up and dropping them into my eyes. It was like a little jug that was emptying the water into my eyes. And I had some very powerful dreams right after this eye surgery that made me realize that the eye surgery, even though in a sense, it was just like something I'd wanted to do for a long time, was a symbolic of a change, a shift in, in vision and perspective. Of course, physical eyes, but inner eyes type of thing. And it was several very profound dreams. And I won't, I don't, I won't go into what that shift in perception is, but it's, you know, I think it's just a part of my ongoing personal work as a, as a soul, you know, and I was feeling just really, really thankful for this. And now remember, this surgery happened as Saturn was opposing my ascendant ruler, Venus and Leo. So Venus and Leo, the sign of the sun, Saturn and Aquarius, the water pourer. So the missing water drops showed up as Saturn and Aquarius, and they showed up in the chart um, through the techniques that we use in horary and so forth in my living room somewhere. So I thought, okay, air sign in the living room, maybe up on a shelf somewhere. So I start looking around and lo and behold, there it is. We have uh, 
on the sort of edge of our living room, the there is like a, a wet bar. Now, we don't drink. We're a, a sober family, but um, we have a little refrigerator with like Perrier's and stuff like that. And we have uh, up on top is like a little granite countertop with uh, a sink. And then there's a tea kettle that's like a pitcher. And then there's all of these beautiful goblets that we got from, from our wedding. And uh, so I look and they're not sure enough. It's sitting right on top of the, uh, sort of sitting right on top of the little refrigerator holding the Perrier's right next to the tea kettle. It's like a pitcher and right below a series of goblets. And it was such a powerful moment for me because apparently that the heavens care about something as insignificant or can speak to something as insignificant as my missing eye drops, but not just, they didn't do so in a way that was just, here's where they are, you know, and isn't the symbolism nice and wow, magic, but in a way that affirmed and put into place several nights worth of dreams that I had been having about how this external shift in my vision was also happening as an internal shift of vision was occurring. And it just, it blew me away because suddenly I understood that the shift of vision that I was having was an emptying, that it was canonic. And it was the first time I ever really perceived Saturn in Aquarius as um, an archetype that is related to kenosis, emptying. That verse from the Bible, whether you're a Christian or not, just even from an archetypal standpoint, is beautiful. Jesus in a, a, an avatar, one who descends God in human form or something like that. And there's many traditions that have avatars, right? In order to become human, I, you know, Christ emptied himself. That's the phrase in Philippians, if I'm remembering it correctly. That emptying, that purposeful emptying of one's own God nature. For us as humans, it's as though our lives are the playgrounds of the gods. And who we think we are is usually nothing more than a, you know, a temporary method act that we have going on that's beautiful and powerful and we learn so much from and it delights the soul. But occasionally those, you know, the lights go down, the third act has finished and the gods leave the stage. And there's an emptying. And in that emptying, it, you, we can fight it in so many ways. We can try to stay busy. We can future. We can be upset that it, something isn't as good as it used to be. And these are some of the curses of Aquarius. Uh, or we can just allow ourselves to be emptied. And when we really allow ourselves to be emptied, a shift of vision occurs. Uh, and we start on a new path. And this is the transition happening in that middle of winter that Aquarius represents. It's a pre preparation, a paving of the way for something new, but there's a very deep emptying that happens. Uh, and the emptying can make us feel alien and dissociated from ourselves. And this is exactly how I had been feeling for a long time, actually, a year and a half since Saturn really started getting into it with my ascendant ruler, Venus and Leo is as though Saturn was holding up the perspective of me and saying, look at what you are absorbed in. Look at what you, you know, look at the, the light of the gods that you're absorbed in that forms your sense of self and ambition. And look at the method act you've been playing. And, uh, 
let's empty that out. And it's holding up a mirror Saturn is to me and just saying, it's just you. It's just you. So to me, when <clears throat> Smith says, I'll reread just one little part of that passage I read. When he says that living a symbolic life, living a life with a religious attitude, but not necessarily religious identification is canonic. What does he mean? The religious attitude is properly empty, canonic. It maintains an awareness of the ultimate mystery of life and does not cling to the forms through which that mystery is sensed. It understands that although we need structures with which we can meet the contingencies of life and through which we can gain some understanding of its depths, ultimately what we call truth or knowledge or reality or God exceeds what those names and structures are able to contain. We must be willing to let go of our structures or else they can become barriers to the individual adventure of being alive. The best that human beings could do in the face of the transcendent mystery of life, Jung felt, was to paint the world with divine colors. I really love that. And what it, it makes me realize is not that, um, again, I don't understand kenosis to be the idea that, you know, we, we negate things or that we're, there's just a, a void or something like that. But there's a, a way in which we have to empty things out. I was talking to a client recently and she was saying, what do you do with like astrological anxiety? Like, oh my God, Mars is transiting my 10th house. It's going to turn retrograde in my 10th house. I'm a Virgo rising. Will I lose my job? You know, I said, you know, um, imagine that, and I had just had these experiences and I thought about this. I said, imagine that your anxiety is like a full cup of water. And you know, my daughter, when she gets a full cup of water and go, you know, something, and she's like going to go and sit down and watch, I don't know, a cartoon. It's like, I'm watching her walk and I'm like, I'm always like, sweetie, why don't you just empty it a little bit? Just empty it out a little bit and then it'll be easier to carry. Whether it's our hopes, our dreams, our ambitions, our joy, our, our desires, our fears, our anxieties, we tend, I don't know, and it just, I, I notice, I observe within myself and my clients and everything that we tend to carry whatever we're carrying with the water exactly at the top. And sometimes then we approach spirituality and we say, well, see, the problem is the full glass and you need to empty it all out. I don't think that is what kenosis means. But I told her, I said, if you're having astrological anxiety about a transit, it's as though you're walking around with this really full cup. We have to find ways unique to every individual, every individual's religious psychology of just pouring like a third of that out, maybe half, you know, emptying ourselves a little bit. Because when you empty yourself, then you make room for the gods to come in and fill you and surprise your, fill your cup and surprise you uh, which there's no room for if your cup is full. And that goes really for, you know, any state we get into. When we get so full of something and we have no room, no emptiness, no portion of emptiness available, then there's nothing that can be filled. And that's ultimately what makes astrology in relationship with the gods so satisfying is saying, well, well, for example, how do you create emptiness if you're worried that Mars retrograde in your 10th house will take your job away? 
have an altar in your home, make a vision board or find an item to lay at the altar with a prayer saying, here's my job. I'm worried you're going to take it, but you know what? Preemptively, I'll offer it in case it is something that you want. See, that kind of openness, I don't want you to take my job, but if you want it, here it is. That openness is the equivalent of taking the full cup and emptying like half of it out. And then there's room for the transit to come in and, and, and work with us. If we become so identified with the gods, so identified with an emotion or a complex or an idea or an ambition or whatever, then usually we experience Saturn. We experience the water pourer as someone that pours us out and, you know, it, it ends up feeling horrible. It's like the, so we need kenosis as a way of life because the, the deliberate emptying of ourselves creates room for the gods to, to come in and have a relationship. I think that we are so all or nothing, you know, at least I see myself that way. And it's empty because emptiness is the safe, right thing to do, or it's totally full of any emotion or state or whatever. And I think living a canonic life is about just allowing ourselves to have shifts in perspective. A shift in perspective can be an emptying of some of the water. I have a perspective and it's just brimming over. Well, a shift in perspective can mean that you're just emptying some of that out to leave room for another perspective. So there's so many ways to be canonic. I suspect that as Pluto enters Aquarius, that one of the things that's going to happen that Saturn has been paving the way for is for whether it's societal, society, <laughs> whether it's societal or whether it's personal, whether it's taking place within institutions or organizations that we belong to or communities that we're a part of or our personal lives and relationships, our philosophy, convictions and beliefs. I think we are going to see that there is an emptying out. And with that emptying out, there can come a great clash of, you know, uh, reactive tendencies. As things are being emptied out, there's something to blame. Well, it used to be better in the past. Now it's getting bored and we're, things are being emptied. And that's because we got away from that thing in the past. Or things are being emptied out. We say, oh God, it's not working. Here's the brave new future. Here, let's, okay, let's go to the brave new future. You know, or that things are being uh, emptied out and we feel dissociated and we and then we we feel uh so hurt and alone and alienated we go into depression you know these options are there or as pluto moves into aquarius we can learn that uh kenosis is seasonal archetypally we, we're going to go through a 20-year period of kenosis spiritually psychically societally yeah well might as well get into the practice now personally so that as we're doing so, we can understand that this water, that we're, we're being emptied, but also there's a medicinal eye drops, right, coming from heaven. That this is a change of, of, of vision, and it can't happen until you you realize how blinded you've been by something, or and, and allowing yourself to be emptied in the process. There's lots more to say, but these are just the beginning of some of my reflections on Pluto's entrance into Aquarius as Saturn prepares to leave. Um, and we're coming up upon this as Saturn turns direct and then its forward motion will carry it into Pisces. And there's lots to say about Saturn and Pisces too. I think there's going to be some beautiful reflections upon that archetypal combination that I, I look forward to getting into. Anyway, uh, 
If you have a story to share or a reflection, uh, use the hashtag grabbed. Uh, or email us, grabbed at nightlightastrology.com. I love hearing your stories. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Really appreciate when you guys do that. And uh, that's what I've got for today. Take it easy, everyone.